everybody. Hey everybody, I want to thank you so much for all the texts and the messages, the food, the encouragement, and most of all, your prayers for me. God has heard your prayer, and I am healing and recovering. So I'm looking forward to next week, Lord willing, being back with you and share with you some of the things that God has done in me in this process, one of the most difficult experiences of my life. But this morning, I'm glad that you're going to have a chance to hear from Dr. Jeffrey Seif. We're blessed to have him here in our community and in our church. A man of great experience with the Lord, a man of great knowledge of Jewish history, and a man who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. So welcome to the stage this morning, Dr. Jeffrey Seif. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. He's a good man, isn't he? You know, I get a little choked up, and I'm not the in-my-feelings kind of guy, you know, but it really, you know, hurts to see him down. And uh, I am, I'm so glad that he's turning the corner, uh, as I know you are as well. And uh, not only him, of course, there are a variety of others. Um, that are, you know, part of the, the vertical family who similarly have uh, had some road bumps on the highway of life. And I trust that in reasonably short order that uh, we'll be uh, seeing this stuff in the rearview mirror. How's that? A little better? Okay, there we go. I trust you can still hear me, yes? It was just a little weird. Okay, well, uh, it's, it's an honor to be here. It's not a thrill. Uh, it's not a thrill because I come on the heels of someone who's not feeling particularly well. But with you, I am thrilled to uh, see him get the better of it. When he asked me to share this week, I reflected some on, on what I wanted to get into. And principally, what I want to do is, is take my lead uh, from something that he's been game to talk about. And, I, you know, it's, it's the turn of the year the church has momentum, and, and I just feel for the pastor who really, you know, wants to be at the helm and, and, and talk about going deeper, and, and he does it so well, and I don't want to be a cheap imitation of him. I didn't conversate with him, but what I wanted to do this morning is share a little bit of my own, uh, the way I want to unpack the issue of going deeper. Let's look at the next slide, and I'm going to break it down into two words, going and deeper, basically. What I want to do is take a dive with you, um, a little bit of a deeper dive into some of life's uh, problems and uh, Christian life's possibilities. That's principally what I'm interested in. Now, when, when I developed this, over the week, I had a bunch more slides that I'd put into it and, uh, you know, cartoons. I wanted to make it kind of sort of fun. Uh, it's a tough season. You know, people want to reprieve from it. You know, Super Bowl's probably like that. We want to break from just, from, from everything and just to kind of vacate a little bit. Uh, so I, I, I was going to be a little cute with it, but I decided to dump about 30% of my slides. I decided I didn't want to go too cute 
Uh, what I want to do in the way I want to unpack taking a look at life's problems and how I believe the Lord helps us to get the better of them. Uh, what I want to do is share with you about half a dozen or so pictures. Now, I did retain the pictures on these slides, but I dumped the words. What I'm going to do is show you some pictures, and I'm, I'll conversate a little bit about those pictures, and I invite you to fill in whatever words might conceivably applicable, be applicable to you. With that attended to, what I want to do is look at, uh, you know, seven statements, seven words, and invite you to envision how you might picture that in your own life. Now, you know, you probably don't know where I'm going just by virtue of my saying that, but as I dive in, I trust you will. Let's look at the next slide. I want to look at uh, diving deeper. Pastor wanted to talk about the deep you know, going deeper with Jesus. And uh, I find it unfortunate that we live in a world today where many people are going deeper, all right, deeper into decay, despair, disorientation, depression, depravity, a lot of D words there that uh, I find it uh, troublesome that, uh, you know, a lot of people are coming unglued. Now, there's always the casual, how are you doing? Fine, thank you, and you. But behind the makeup, uh, behind the firm handshake, when people are just alone in life and it's just them hearing their own voice, now, a lot of us are busy and anxious and we don't get in, in, in touch with our own voice. Uh, but sad to say, it's the case today, partly uh, facilitated, precipitated by exigent circumstance. It's a tough season in life, uh, but even if we didn't have the unique situations of the COVID world, life being what it is apart from that, people are going deeper all right, <laughs> deeper into addiction, deeper into this, and, and oftentimes they're driven by forces they don't understand and, and, and find themselves helpless to extricate themselves from. Now, what I want to do is, is, is look at some pictures about the depth and it may be that you can relate to it yourself or know of someone, but we'll look at the next slide. And I opted for a cartoon picture. I learned some years ago when I wasn't aware of it that, that sharks can drown, and I thought that was interesting. I thought that was strange. How can a, a, a fish drown? If you look at the way the creature is constructed... There's gills on the side. And as, uh, you know, like a snake moves its way over land, as the shark slithers its way through water, it, it, it swims that way because by virtue of its so doing, the water gets to and into and through the gills. There was another slide that I dumped to show after that, don't turn yet, um, to look at how the, uh, how the blood within the fish uh, goes to the gills where it picks up the oxygen out of the water. The point is, is that sharks are oxygenated by movement. It's in the going forward. And to a certain extent, I think that people are similarly oxygenated by movement. And it's problematic when people get stuck. 
It's a relationship that's going south. It's a job that's going bad. It's, it's no change. It's this. And just being stuck in life. Uh, the absence of movement. The absence of forward momentum. I think really proves deleterious. It not only hurts the body, thus the word deleterious. You know, you can just sit. You know, you know, I have a career in law enforcement, among other things, in the Dallas area. Someone asked me what I thought the most dangerous place in Dallas was. I said, your living room. Because people just sit there and zone out. Too much food, too much living vicariously through what's served up on the screen, and the net result is weight is gained. Never mind weight, but health diminishes for lack of movement. And it, it is so true, and it, it's an issue certainly with people at my age, at 65. You know, people, you know, they, they retire, whatever. I'm not near there, but just, just the settling down. Sometimes people get stuck in life, and it, it, it just sinks them. It, it, it takes them to the deep. They get stymied. Let's look at the next slide. There's another way that people uh, get uh, disoriented in life, and actually I got this slide from a lecture at Cambridge. I'm a student there. I go back and forth to England. I'm picking up a graduate degree in applied criminology and police management. I don't know about you, but I think we should continue to grow. Physically, I was in the gym for two hours this morning. Intellectually, I don't just want to sit around. And, uh, you know, I, I stole this from a lecture when I was there in, in, in the fall. The rhinoceros, you know, anxiously running, wanting to be a unicorn. And just seeing that, looks at that unicorn and goes, that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes people pursue things where there's too much fantasy and it's too much unattainable. They can think that success is only 12 inches away, but for whatever reason, they only come up with an 11-inch reach. Uh, there's that, that lack of realism that can uh, similarly uh, sink people. They, they go through life like a rhino on the treadmill, only to feel like they come up empty. Now, now Pastor Treadway um, can speak with his own voice better than I can represent him. Uh, but, but, but he argues that there is a recipe for success in life by, by, by seeking God. And I want to explore that in biblical texts in a moment. But people seek other things. They're going after it. And I think that this lack of reality in life proves to be problematic. Let's look at the next one. Now, uh, I have long been fascinated. I don't know if you've ever watched um, videos or you see these elephants. And I see it in, 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 in India particularly, this, this, this big elephant working slavishly during the day because there's some skinny Indian guy who's driving the elephant to go around and pick up logs and do all this heavy lifting, all this heavy work. And what happens is, is the elephant is scared to death of the trainer, not realizing that the elephant is much more powerful than the trainer. Anytime the elephant wanted to do, anytime the elephant wanted to do it, he could just turn around and crush the trainer and go off into the forest. But the elephant doesn't know that. There, there, there's, there's a sense of living with the driving force. 
being, being, being riven, uh, ridden by it, being controlled by it. And uh, again, it, it's a form of fantasy because the creature could break loose from it, but the problem is the creature doesn't know it. And it's living life with this particular uh, condition similarly, uh, you know, sends people to the deep. I want to show another one, please, a slide here. Actually, I was looking when I was going through cartoons, and I was real busy, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to do it. I wanted to find a skinny, pretty girl uh, there with the lion with the stool. Now, it goes back a little, you know, in the world today where, you know, cruelty to animals, you know, the circus has kind of, you know, you know, gone the wayside. But if you can just think for a moment, uh, back in the day, you know, the circus comes to town, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, and there's the lion act, and there's a cage there. And there can be, you know, half a dozen lions in the cage. And there's a ring of fire that's lit up. And the trainer has these lions jump through the fire. Things that are counterintuitive for the lion. The lion, the lioness in another world is the king of the jungle. But here is a lion and a lioness, sometimes half a dozen of them, being controlled by a 110-pound skinny girl with a stool and whoosh, cracks the whip with a sound. And what happens is the lion is psyched into doing things that they otherwise wouldn't do. Are you with me on the image here? Now, what interests me is why is it that a stool is employed in order to get the lion to be submissive? The, the, the king of the beasts... Now, I'm not a zoologist, but if you look at the way that lions are constructed, they're they're predators, and there's a kind of visual acuity, uh, part of that predatory uh, disposition. They're equipped with with vision, with a kind of pinpoint vision, you know, to, to pierce through the darkness. I know that because when I picked up uh, when, when, when picked up wouldn't be the right word to use. Uh, I've, I've learned uh, with uh, years of marriage with Barry, I used to be a dog guy, and I became a cat daddy now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've learned that, you know, these cats, you know, they, they, they have a piercing kind of vision. Well, I don't want to make too much of that right now, save to say that uh, the reason why the stool is successive, and and here's the point that I want to make, is when you poke the stool with those four legs coming at the lion, the lion doesn't know what to focus on. It messes with the eyes, and it makes it insecure, and it makes the lion cower, and it makes it easier to control. Now, extrapolating from that, I think in life, sometimes we're confused. We don't know what to focus on. Well, well, should I get the shot or shouldn't I? And what about this and what about that? And, 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 and it's so easy, particularly in, in, in the world that we live in today, so much information comes at us, so much stuff, and we get confused and we don't know what to do and we sink if you ever take a swimming lesson, you know that you're up there in the water. If you want to stay on top of the water, you have to keep moving, even if the strokes aren't all that good. If you stop all that, you, you, you go to the bottom. And what happens is, is sometimes because people are confused 
uh, they, they, they sink deeper. Uh, they get disoriented. They cower. And there's an example of it in that slide. We'll go to the next. Uh, sometimes people just don't know where to begin. Uh, life can be like a maze. And there's a dog at one end, there's a bone on the other, but people just don't know how to get through the maze to get to the bone. Let me give you an illustration of something that it's not so much that people don't know how to get to the bone as much as how people can be ill-equipped to have the resources to get to it. And after unpacking this, I want to pivot principally to looking at biblical texts. But like I said, I wanted to look at some pictures And I did have in the blue spots there, on the teal or whatever it is, I had words. I decided to dump the words and just tell the story of the picture and let you decide if you think there's any application to your own life. This one interested me because it's not just that uh, the dog doesn't know how to get to the bone. It's just that it's ill-equipped internally to do it. T. Barry Brazelton died a few years ago in the spring, just shy of his 100th anniversary. As T. Barry Brazelton was making his journey from the womb to the tomb, he picked up a medical doctor degree and a professorship at Harvard University where he uh, taught pediatrics, among other things, at Harvard Medical School. T. Barry Brazelton did an experiment with 100 Harvard graduate students. Brazelton divided them up into two groups of 50, A and B. And Brazelton built a maze that was a few inches high, maybe about the size of a part of the stage. There was an entrance at one end of the maze, and there was an exit at the other, and there was a maze in between these passageways, some of which were dead ends. Now, he, he, he got his hundred volunteers together. He divided them up into two groups, A sat here and B sat there. And he said, look, here's the experiment. Brazelton said, we got a hundred rats, hundred rats, and we checked them out. You know, some of these rats, they're really smart. They're like little Einstein rats. You know, their brains, it's just, just got a lot going for them. And group A was assigned 50 rats. And group A was told each Harvard student had a rat. And it was their job to put the rat down at the entrance of the maze. And then, come on, boy, coax it through. Come on, come on. And get out the other end with the smart rats. Unfortunately, as group B learned, that they were assigned the dumb rats. Brazelton explained that these rats didn't have a lot going for them. There's just enough brain capacity to keep the internal systems moving. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot of expectation. But he said, look, for the sake of the test, it's your job. Each Harvard student in group B was assigned to get a rat and put it here at the entrance. And just do the best you can with it and see if you can, come on, boy, you know, coax it and get it through the end to get it out the exit. You with me on this? Group A with the smart rats, how many of those rats do you think made it through the maze? All of them. The dumb rats, how many of them do you think made it through the maze? None of them. So you're saying, Jeffrey, what's the point? The point is, in truth, there was no difference at all between the dumb rats and the smart rats. 
The difference was in the attitude that the Harvard graduate student had when handling the rat. You know, if you think you have a smart rat, here you go, oh, good rat, I'm glad I'm not like that other group. Come on, come on, come on. And, and what happens is you're going to be nurturing and affirming, and you can kind of coax it through. By way of contradistinction, if you have a dumb rat, oh, dumb rat, yeah, you know, put it down, you know, put it down by the tail, you don't quite want to touch it, come on, go, go, you know, and, and it comes to nothing. Now, the point is, attitude can affect altitude. The way that you're thinking in life can inform outcomes. Now, I can understand why Brazelton is interested in it because he's a professor of pediatrics and it's moms and dads that bring their kids to the doctor. And, and, and uh, you know, his point, of course, is that the way that you interact, uh, your, your own attitudes toward your, your, your children, can that in and of itself be telling on the outcome? Now, that's the point of the experiment. But, but borrowing from it, relative to what I'm interested in, going deeper. You know, I said at the outset, some go deeper into decay, despair, disorientation, death, and all the rest. And then some go deeper with God, which I'm going to get to in a moment. But when it comes to going deeper and sinking, if you walk around in life and you have this, oh, I'm a dumb rat, you know, that, that, you know, I can't do it. And, you know, and a lot of people live with this ego-dystonic internal dialogue. It's negative, and it seems to be enforced by so much in the environment. You know, we relate to people interpersonally. We hear voices, and we respond with voice. But similarly, intrapersonally, that is, within us, there can be this internal dialogue and if it's, if it's incessantly informed by this doubt, despair, etc., it becomes self-fulfilling. And what it does, it inhibits your ability to get through life's maze. Now, there are various ways on various days where various people don't have success in life. I say if success in life were easy, everybody would have it. But in case you have noticed, there happens to be a lot of roadkill on the highway of life. People get run over by stuff. They sink. Let's go to the next slide. Now, I only gave a few pictures here. You know, and uh, you know, I could have done more, but I wanted to look at half a dozen or so things that, 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 that cause people to go deeper into despair. Now I want to, you know, never mind problems, let's look at possibilities. Let's pivot to the next. Here I want to look at going deeper into life's possibilities, particularly considering uh, going deeper with Jesus Christ. Now, that gets to the ethos of the series. Principally, uh, my understanding, not that I have a conversation with Pastor Brian about it, but it's a new year, and typically with new years, people look, you know, there's new resolutions. I'm going to do this, you know, you know I'm going to work out, I'm going to change my diet, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get in church, and, you know, my own sense of the thing. And, you know, and, you know, I feel for Brian, all this creative energy and love for the church and the Lord and the community, it seemed to me that as people in Ovilla and its environs are making their journey from the womb to the tomb, people get upended, we're living under pressure associated with the exigent circumstance of the times we live in. 
And, and it seemed to me that, you know, that Pastor Brian wanted to be there to meet and greet sojourners to make it through these doors to talk about uh, the, uh, the possibilities that can come to individuals who opt to go deeper with Christ. Amen. Now, having looked at half a dozen or so pictures on the negative side of the equation, what I want to do is look at some pictures on the positive side. Let's go to the next. Uh, I want to talk about deeper with Christ, what that might conceivably look like. Now, here's where um, I'm going to be looking at words. And what I want to do is take uh, seven statements in the Gospel of John. I want to begin, actually, with the beginning. If you'll uh, go with me in John uh, chapter 1, I want to look at the first at well, when I look at the Johannine Gospel, the Gospel of John, it's written in the 90s AD. It's the last one written. I want to see the first thing that Jesus said and the last thing written about what he said. I want to look at that, the, the first question and answer. I want to look at the exchange. And then what I want to do is sticking with the Johannine Gospel. I want to look at uh, seven declarative statements that, that Jesus makes. It's self-disclosure. You know, and if you've ever considered, you know, a relationship with someone, you know, people date, they meet, and they're kind of, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, you kind of just put your best foot forward, uh, but then there comes to a point where if you think that, that this thing might go a little deeper, where individuals might opt for a little more self-disclosure, so there's some realistic sense of what they're getting involved in. At least that's what people should do. By the way, I think there should be congruity always between the way we represent ourselves in lives and who we really are. Um, all that said, in the Johannine Gospel, if you look, uh, John the Baptist, Yohanan, the Hebrew name, he has endorsed Jesus. And John the Baptist was kind of like the Billy Graham in his day. So, you know, when, uh, when, when, when JB gives him a thumbs up, People are going, okay, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Let's see what this is. And uh, so if you look in verse 38, Yeshua in Hebrew, Jesus uh, turned and saw some people following him because of JB's endorsement. Okay. And Jesus said to them, what are you looking for? What do you seek? What are you looking for? What do you want? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Now, that's proof, by the way, that the Johannine Gospel is not written to Jewish people. Because if you're, if you're writing to Jewish people, you don't need to explain to them what the word rabbi means. They already know. Uh, by the time John writes, you know, the world has changed. We're decades and decades away from the life, death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're outside of... Uh, of Judea and the Galil, the Galilee. We've moved on. Uh, and he's writing to other people about what happened back then. And, he, and he's saying, you know, look, uh, there were these people that were kind of hunkering around. And Jesus said, what are you looking for? They said, the rabbi, you know, where are you staying? 
Now, translated staying in English, there's, there's different possibilities. The Greek word there is used about 120 times in the New Testament, half of which just in John's writing. He likes the word, where are you abiding? You know, who are you? Where are you? Uh, they were interested in that. And, and, and I would imagine that you, like they, uh, it's not just he here, it's we here. You know, there, there's some interest in, you know, who is Jesus? What's the story all about? Where is it? What is it? And, uh, you know, uh, kind of an interest in getting connected to that. Now, now, now uh, Brian says, go deeper with that. He believes that it pays dividends. So they said, Rabbi, where are you, where are you abiding? And, and Jesus said, come and see. Now, there's, there, there's a billboard out in front. Uh, all those billboards are so creative. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I really love this church, but there are a variety of reasons why I love it. There's all this creative energy. There's this artistic stuff. To me, when I think of vertical church, um, my sense, though I haven't heard this language come from someone in the church, nevertheless, my own sense of it at the executive level um, the, 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 the leaders, collective, the elders, deacons, the pastoral team, uh, individuals are looking to present the classical Christian faith, the traditional Christian faith, the classical Christian faith in ways that are contemporary, creative, and credible. And, and there's this genius because what you want to do is, is get the genetic imprint of the gospel into a new generation. Now, quite frankly, for a guy like me, you know, I don't go for the smoke machines and the music. I'm not saying to turn them off. And uh, similarly, a guy like me, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of dig it when we get some of those old hymns. I, we dress them up and make them cool and contemporary. But the thing is, is never mind me. Jeffrey Seif had his moment. The name of the game is a new world, a new generation. And those that are of my generation in this crowd, or watching by video appreciate the fact that, that we're reaching a new world. Well, not just new, but it's young and old alike. And there's the genius, the ethos of the church that is, for me, the distinguishing characteristic is this presentation of the gospel, the classical Christian faith in ways that are contemporary, creative, and credible. And, and I get that when I drive down the street and I look at the posters that are made. I get that when I come in here and experience the worship, which is so good. I get that just in, in everything. And it all oozes with a kind of excellence. That's why I'm not here. That's why I'm here. I'm not on staff. And I've got other fish to fry in life. But I just love, I, I just count myself so thrilled, and, and Barry does as well, to have a place like this in such close proximity. Well, Jesus says, come and see, check this out. Subsequent to him saying, check this out, there are seven times where he makes declarative statements about who he is. And I want to look at those in brief. We'll look at the first. Jesus, in John chapter 6, reveals something about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. Now, I, I, I want to just camp on that for a moment. You know, 
uh, people say, well, if I, go, go, if I get more into Jesus, you know, get too religious, I don't know. I got all this other stuff in life, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose something, you know, if, 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 I, if I pivot that direction. Well, Jesus is on record when he says, I am the bread of life. And by the way, uh, I don't know that that expression gets as much utility in modernity as it does in antiquity. And I say that because moderns, we can be rather, you know, ambivalent about bread. Ambivalence is when you're simultaneously attracted to and repulsed from at the same time. I look at bread and go, yummy, yummy. I also look at bread and hear carbs, carbs, carbs. And uh, so, you know, that, that we're as concerned about that, that, uh, uh, well, bread, you know, I mean, my wife, Barry, is 67 years old. She has a figure that a 17-year-old girl would be jealous of, partly because uh, Barry doesn't, she doesn't like carbs. Her, she says, a second on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. That's one of her expressions. And uh, rice, pasta, bread, you know, I mean, on rare occasions for her. And similarly with us, there's this kind of, you know, I don't know about bread. Do you know in classical English language, and you'll see this in the older King James versions of the Bible, when it talks about bread, it also uses the term meat interchangeably at different places. And I mention this because in century one, bread was part of the staple diet. Uh, they, they weren't carnivorous like us. They didn't have Texas barbecue. People had better things to do with, with, with beef, with, with, with cows, than, 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 than turn them into Dickie's barbecue. I remember one time three cows got out and I corralled them in the middle of the night and the owner came back the next day. This is a police officer. The owner came back and said, has anybody seen my cows? Did anybody see my cows? They got out. And I said, I saw them. They said, where are they? I said, I sold them to Dickies. (laughs) I sold them to Dickies. You know, back in the day, uh, uh, people didn't eat a lot of meat. Bread was a staple fixture. And when Jesus says, you know, I am the bread of life, Principally, you know, the expression is, you go with this, you buy in to this. Uh, this sustenance here, there's something for the journey. And in fact, uh, in Hebrew, lechem, bread. Jesus, uh, who says, I'm the bread of life, he was born in Bet Lechem, a.k.a. Bethlehem. And, and Bet Lechem is Hebrew for house of bread. Let's go to the next one. I'm looking at seven declarative statements. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you know that a lot of people are groping in the darkness? I remember one time I was out on the road, you know, and uh, had to go, you know, in, in a hotel, and, and uh, you know, I got up in the middle of the night, and I just had to go to the restroom, and I got up, and thump, all of a sudden, I went right into a wall, into a beam, because you need to get up on autopilot, you kind of, kind of know the steps, what you need to do in your own home, and you forget that you're not home, and all of a sudden, kapow, I mean, I really whacked myself. Uh, do you know that a lot of people... Um, because they, they, they don't have good vision. They don't see. They don't see, they, or they get deceived. Lucifer uh, is a Latin epithet. There's different names for the devil, you know, and one of, one of which is Lucifer. It's from the Latin for light bearer. You get the word lucid. 
clarity. Uh, lucent. Lucifer, light bearer. People get deceived. There's darkness. Choshech in Hebrew. Choshech. And, and uh, there's, there, there, there's darkness. And all of a sudden there's a flare of light and you know people kind of go to it. Unfortunately, a lot of people go to a lot of the wrong stuff. Uh, you know, the, and uh, they, 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 they get hurt in the process. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know, or v'choshech, light and darkness. You know, there, there, there's darkness, and he represents himself as the light. It's interesting, by the way, uh, back in century one, when the Beit HaMikdash stood, the temple in, in Jerusalem, which by the time of John's writing, it had already been destroyed. There was a war that broke out in the mid-60s AD. It culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem. When Tisha B'Av, which is the Hebrew date of the year 70 AD, the temple was decimated. But before it was destroyed, the facility was designed in a way that if Brian became an architect, he wouldn't have designed it. You know, when we build a home today, we have skylights and what have you. The idea is to get the light in. The windowsills are positioned a certain way in order to uh, accentuate bringing the light in. Conversely, in the Jerusalem temple complex, the way it was built, the window sills were different. There was light in the temple, and it was designed to dispense it out. It's, it's a subtle uh, architectural nuance that, that reflected a religious point that Jesus gives voice to in his Sermon on the Mount. Here he's on record saying, I am the light of the world. Je suis la luminaire pour la monde. I'm the light of the world. He says it. Um, and then later, in the Matean Gospel, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, he'll go, you are the light. And you don't put the light under a, a basket. It needs to be oxygenated and to serve a utility. Now, a lot of people in life walk in darkness. Jesus represents, he can help you cut a path through the darkness. I mean, if, if you look at early Genesis, it starts off, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says there's choshech, choshech, there's darkness. But then it says in the literature, the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters, displacing darkness, bringing order out of chaos, creating a new world that comes replete with possibilities. You know, God at work in the Older Testament is at work through Jesus Christ in the newer one. Let's go to the next one, please. The door, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I think personally what people are looking for in life is pasture. You know, I mentioned this here because, you know, the way Jesus is marketed, except Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior and you can have life after you die. Well, I'm good with that, but we live in a world today where people aren't asking as much whether there's life after death. They want to know if there's life before death. They want to know, is, is, is there any utility? Um, and is, is there a way that this gig translates into helping me as I make my journey from the womb to the tomb? I think people want to know that. Now, Jesus said, I am the door, 
And if when anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We're not going in and out of heaven. We're just making our way through life and finding verdant pasture lands. That, that he's the good shepherd, we'll get to that in a second, who leads people to it. And when he says they will be saved, the Greek word sozo for saved isn't just saved in the sense that religious people, well, you need to be saved, brother. You know, I've been praying that you get saved. It is that, but it's not just that. The word sozo means to be saved as in the soul, yes, but to be healed, to be made whole, to be put back together again. That is to say, there is a contemporary praxis. There's a way that the Jesus story works its way out in you that helps you to get utility out of the Christian experience. He's the doorway into another world. Now, now Pastor Brian wants to beckon people to go deeper with that, not just uh, with verbiage, not just with words, but there's a community here with possibilities, with groups, with ways to serve, with ways to get involved. That's how you go deeper. The way you go deeper isn't just to say, well, I'm going to decide to think more Christian thoughts. Well, by all means. Uh, but, but, but there's a passageway into by virtue of you associating with others. There, there, there's something that's facilitated by that that's not facilitated otherwise. The, and there's a doorway into that here open on our Villa Road. The next one, uh, Jesus is on record saying, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Uh, you know, that it's good to know that someone like that is on our side. It's good to know. Maybe there's someone really rich and you go, man, I only wish if I could get a few minutes with him or her and, you know, if I could get them to believe in me. You see, I have this idea, this, this thing here, and, you know, if, if I could just, I just need that contact, you know, if I could just get that person. But I know that this person has the resources. They could really hook me up. I got to get with that person. You know, you can't lose with the stuff I use, baby. I need to connect there. You know, that, uh, but if, if, if it's true, where Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, implicit in that, it's tacit. That is, it's implied as opposed to explicit, directly stated. When he says, I am the good shepherd, what's implied in that is some interest in helping us as we make our journey through life. Now, people think, boy, if I get involved in the, you know, too much religion is not a good thing. You know, if I get too involved in this, I mean, let's not take it too seriously. Really, you know, yeah, my, my woman, she, she likes to go to church, so, you know, she drags, drags me along and thinks that Sunday school is good for the kids. But really, I'm just giving it a perfunctory performance. You know, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not really here. I'm not thinking of anybody when I say that. I'm just talking. You know, that, that, uh, uh, that, that people can say, well, yeah, you know, but I'm not really going to get into it, get into it. You know, a little too much religion can be dangerous. Uh, Jesus says, you know, he, you know th there's implicit here that, uh, that, that, you know, someone with all that he's got going for them is interested in, in helping with the journey. And if you think that association with that is going to mess up your life, I beg to differ. It might, it, it might mess up, well, it might cause the need for some adjustments in life, granted. Let's look at the next one, by the way, and you know, I want to hurry through this. You all have other things to do. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. You know, this is a season in life where in a variety of ways things didn't go my way. Now, I voted, I'm I'm a Republican. And, and, you know, I voted for Donald Trump personally. Guy's a little crazy, but I like him. You know, a little different, but I like him. You know, and, and uh, uh, plus there's certain values that are represented in, in the Republican platform that for me spoke more to my sensibilities. You know, and, 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 I, I, and I watched uh, that evaporate. And someone asked me if I think he's making a comeback. He's going to come back and represent. Now, for me... I'm more interested in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ than the death and the burial and the resurrection of Donald Trump, personally. You know, as a minister of the gospel, you know, while I have my particular political perspectives, I know we live in a democracy, but at the end of the day, uh, I understand myself to be an ambassador for the king more than an ambassador for the president. And besides that, when I think of success in life, personally, success in life for me has less to do with who's sitting in an office in the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. for Jeffrey Seif, who lives on Ovilla Oaks Drive, right up the hill, turn left. For this person... Success in life is more predicated upon what I do and how I live and the decisions that I make in my house than what they do in the White House. Now, Jesus said here, returning to the point, Jesus said, he said, I am the, 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 the resurrection and the life. Tehiat hametim in Hebrew, the coming back to life. Now, to me, that's really interesting, especially if you think dreams have died, hope is lost, or the, the life that's worth living is for the young. People at my age, particularly, or in proximity to it, well, there's the young, they're going for it, they're dreaming, go Sally, go. But, but, but that kind of life, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of pursuit is a judge to be something that belongs to the young, certainly not me. You know what my philosophy is about that? You know what I think about that way of thinking? That's what I think about that way of thinking. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And by the way, while on the subject, eternal life, eternal life doesn't begin when you expire. Life doesn't begin from, from a biblical perspective. You know, that, that, you know okay, uh, you know, I die. Caskets thrown into the ground. Pastor says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dearly beloved, we're gathered together here for so-and-so. And all, you know, the worms got to eat. 
and uh, so, you know, what happens is, you know, I'm thrown in the ground, the worms get a banquet, and, and uh, well, I get life. Again, I don't want to diminish away from the afterlife, but according to this statement, the life begins now. The life begins now. He says, he says, you'll never die. You'll never die. Now, that's interesting. I mean, I see a lot of people that are dead and still walking. I think there was a movie, whatever, Dead Men Walking. Now, I got to finish soon because you got other fish to fry. You got to eat, and it's a Super Bowl day. I get it. I know where I am. I know who I am, and I'm just about done. But I want to tell you a story that uh, you, you, you can visit a cemetery, and there's a tombstone there. And the tombstone, you know, will say born, and it'll have a date and a year. And then there's a dash, and then died a date and a year. So, that, so what, what, what's to be understood is this person was born at this point in time, and then they died at this point in time. What if I told you that they died a whole lot sooner? A lot of people, when all the dream stuff is gone, the ambition, the hope, the vision, the quest, the energy, when that stuff goes, let me put it like this. I know, I know that I'm going to die someday. And at 65, I know it'll be a lot sooner than a lot of you. I know I'm going to die someday, but I don't plan on dying until I die. You know, and, and until that day happens, zest, enthusiasm, determination is not just the dream stuff for the young. My understanding, Jesus said, I came that they may have life. Life. Now, I come from a Jewish culture where, you know, the way Jews say, you know, the way Jews toast, it's l'chaim, which means to life. I come from a world where we believe in life and the pursuit thereof. So much the case in the Jewish world, even in Auschwitz, in the Holocaust, people were getting married. <laughs> They'd hold hands through the barbed wire, and a rabbi would do it. That uh, uh, in, in, in the Jewish world, um, we'll put it like this. I was married to Patty. My first wife, may she rest in peace. We did 30 years, and she died this week. Uh, when I went to marry Patty, her father had a heart attack the day beforehand and died. Probably because when he met his son-in-law, probably didn't help matters. That, uh, so what we did then, you know, I went and bought a black suit, and instead of marrying Patty, I, I preached a funeral and I put it off and went back a month later and, and we married. In the Jewish world, you'd never do that. Her father was a Catholic. Her mother wouldn't have understood that. Because in, in, in the Jewish world, the engines of life have to continue on. It wouldn't have been, it would, in the Jewish world, it would, have been, it would have been construed by many at that wedding as an offense, as a disregard for the deceased. 
And it would, have been, it would have been construed as problematic. So I was sensitive to that, so we did it that way. Now, Barry and I are both from a Jewish world. And, and in the Jewish world, you would marry anyway, because it's understood. Pekuach uh, hanefesh, uh, the preservation of the soul, the preservation of life. The engines of life have to carry on. Well, that's a good optimistic way of thinking, but what if I told you that if you go Jesus, with Jesus Christ, what if I told you that, 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 the, that the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that Jesus inflames that engine and propels into the future? Let's look at the next. Life. Well, I've made the point on that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I studied German. Ich bin der Weg, der Wahrheit, das Leben. It's one of the things that I memorized, in case I ever ran into a German. Not many Germans here. Maybe if I go in South Texas. But anyways, the way. You know, uh, uh, you know, Brian is trying to talk people into going deeper with Jesus. Well, uh, I think it's fascinating. Jesus says that he is the life. Let's go to the next slide. He's the vine. I want to finish with this. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, it's, and it's interesting, by the way, uh, that the picture there entails a kind of uh, intermingling. If you look at vine branches, this is part of, of the secret to success in life from a Christian perspective. Did you ever look at, you know, there are these big trees, sequoia, redwood, you go, wow, these trees, they just, they're just big, they're just way up there, and you think, all that weight, those, those roots, to keep that tree up, and the storms come, boy, for that tree to be there, those roots have to go down deep, 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 in order to sustain that much bulk. I can't tell you how surprised I was to learn that's not the case at all. If you look at these bigger trees, it's not, they're up high, but it's not that the roots go equally down to the same amount. They fan out. And what they do is they intermingle with the root systems of other trees in the forest. And thus, it's by virtue of association with the other trees in the forest that the trees have stability that wouldn't otherwise be there. And that is a thing that's lacking in modernity. Community is just vanishing. And we live in a world today where it's every man alone to go get the gold, the glory, and the girl. And just, just find a way you know, piercing through the fog and to do it as an individual, you know, the Marlboro man, stand alone. By the way, the, there were three different Marlboro men. Every one of them died of cancer. That, uh, but it's this, you know, man alone against the elements. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you were the branches. And it's this participation. It's this communal acts, you know, aspect of what it means to be Christian uh, that translates into a stability in life and a success in life that wouldn't otherwise be there. Lastly, what's this preacher trying to say? What does he want? You know, I use the old saying, I love a finished speaker. I really, truly do. I don't mean one who's polished. I just mean one who's through. Enough already. What's your point, Jeffrey? You know, 
what's this, what's this crazy guy trying to say? Let's look at the next slide. This, this guy doesn't believe that people need to be confused and lost in life's mazes. This guest speaker, this substitute for the real deal, hopefully presenting in short order. And I, you know, the truth is when Brian comes back, there's going to be more verve, more energy. I just wonder what's bottled up in him. You know, what, you know, what the Lord has just kind of been putting on his heart while he's going through this season. And all of us in life, we all have this period that an ancient medieval writer, St. John of the Cross, referred to as the dark night of the soul. You know, you don't go through life if you spend time in life without getting beat up a little bit. But, uh, but, but he wants you to know that going deeper with Jesus pays dividends. He wants you to know. And, and that's what this preacher wants you to know as well. Let's look at the next. I believe that by going deeper with Jesus Christ, uh, it pays great dividends. And if within the sound of my voice this morning as I close... And there's nothing worse than a preacher who says, and I close and doesn't close. <laughs> I don't like it. And finally, and in conclusion, and he talks and talks, and no, enough already. I'm done. But within the sound of my voice, if there's someone that, you know, it just spoke to you a little bit, where you thought, yeah, you know, at the very beginning, I showed pictures and not a lot of words. And then in the second part, I gave words. Not a lot of different pictures. But if in somehow in all of this, if you hear just Jesus stirring within you, Pastor Brian on his billboard out front talks about deeper calling. The word calling, calling, is from the Latin, vocatio. That's where you get the word vocation comes from the word voice. If you hear God's voice beckoning you to go a little deeper as I pray and as we worship with a little bit of music as I finish, I would invite you to say, Lord, here I am, send me. Uh, here I am. I, I invite you to do that. And if you're at a place in your life where the kind of life that's been described doesn't characterize the life that you live. You say, Jeffrey, you know, I'm really removed from all this Jesus stuff. You know, I'm just here by accident, I guess. Well, maybe not. I want to encourage you. You know, I could invite you to come forward, and maybe I should. And I want you to, you know, come to Jesus in your own heart and life. But when this pastor's back... I want you to come and make yourself known. There's lots of resources here for you if you're just beginning the journey to help you go deeper with Christ. And if you're not beginning the journey, but you're kind of out there alone on the journey, I want you to know that there's resources in this house to help aloneness to evaporate, ways that you can participate in the greatest story ever told. The Bible is the greatest story ever told. The way that we can benefit from it is the greatest story never told. 
And if you are just beginning the journey or you've been in it for a while or you're like me, Barry hates it when I say the better part of my life has already been lived, but it's true. I'm glad I can walk the distance with such a fine woman, but I know I'm in the sunset years. If you're at a place in your life where you think that maybe life, you know, you know, you're just, you're concerned, a little fearful, a little alone in it all, I want you to know there's places here for you as well. Vertical Church is a one-stop shop in Ovilla, Texas, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate shopkeeper. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this day. Lord, we, we bless your name, the great I am in Hebrew, Jehovah, I am this, I am that. Lord, we thank you for your precious and very great promises. Lord, I pray, Father, within the sound of my voice, that you would stir your people your way this day to make decisions that need to be made. Lord, thank you. We're so pleased that you came into the world in general. You so loved the world, you came into the world. But you didn't just come into the world in general. You want to come into our world in particular. Do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and thank you for letting me share this morning.